Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. On today's episode, I'm answering your questions, and you ask some really good ones. They range from questions about your kids' education, to dealing with a church that's getting off track, to Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Many of you had submitted questions on Instagram, and I'm going to do my best to answer as many as I can. And to do that, I've asked my colleague, Phil Fleischman, from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. He does our Billy Graham radio. I've asked him to help uh, ask the questions. He joined me on the last time we did an Ask Sissy podcast. So, Phil, welcome back to Fearless. Thanks, Sissy. It's fun to be here on this side of the mic with you. Want to dive into these? Okay. What's the first question? Let's hear them. Okay, Sissy, so we're going to start with kind of a heavy hitter question here. And this person asks, with everything going on with equality— how to know if it is wisdom or fear on not engaging against it. And they've they've capitalized equality. So I think they're talking about the Equality Act that's making its way through Congress. And I'm going to assume they're meaning how do we engage talking to others about it. Yeah, or if you don't engage, is it is it out of wisdom that we don't engage with it? You know, it's better just to leave it alone. Or is it fear not to engage with it? Or should we go ahead and engage with it? The name Equality Act sounds like something we would all champion. After all, we all strive for equality for everyone. We never want anybody to be mistreated because of who they are, because of their religious beliefs. We don't want them to be mis. I never want anybody to be mistreated. Mm-hmm. Right. But the Equality Act is far from equal because it's the mistreatment of those who might hold a religious belief mm-hmm. about marriage that marriage is between a man and a woman, and it does not protect uh, religious institutions uh, like you and I at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It doesn't protect that. This takes back to the 1964 Non-Discrimination Act, and what they're redoing is redefining what sex is. Well, we know what sex meant in that law in 1964. That was basically a woman in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So with this one where they're redefining what sex is, uh, where people can now choose their sex. They want their their children. Yeah, their gender. Mm -hmm. So... And that their gender can change. It can mm-hmm. be fluid. So this is a world, there's no truth. Uh, truth has become relative person to person. So this is very dangerous of what's happening because the name is very deceiving. But what happens is most people are unaware of what it's going on. I've had the discussion with a couple of people and they've had no idea anything about the Equality Act. Like there was a lady that I met at the salon and it was very evident that she had a daughter that was 13 years old and played sports and their life was kind of centered around her daughter playing Mm -hmm. sports. So when she asked about the Equality Act, I said, would you be okay if your daughter um, got cut from the team because there was a boy, a biological boy Mm -hmm. who identified as a female wanted to be on her team? And he, she got cut because he was better and stronger. And with common sense, she said, no, of course not. I wouldn't be okay with that. This isn't a Christian woman. This is just uh, common sense to a, a mom protecting her daughter. This means, you know, boys can go into girls' bathrooms at schools. There's no protection in that. We've already seen where biological men who identified as female went into prison and raped Uh, some women immediately. So we're seeing young children through the Equality Act and this LGBT push throughout um, our culture and our society, children coming home from kindergarten 
reading books about transitioning. Mm-hmm. This is scary stuff. So we cannot not afford to have these conversations with people out of fear. Do it with love and do it with grace. Inform yourself of what it's about. The Decision Magazine at uh, billygram.org is a phenomenal magazine to read. They have articles that will inform you about the Equality Act and let you know what's going on, how you can be proactive against it and letting your senators know. But we cannot have these fears because, um, or not have this conversation because we fear it. I think the wisdom is uh, to build up your knowledge on this and just have a conversation with grace and with love uh, with that somebody just to inform them. They don't know what's going on. Yeah, this next question, Sissy, goes along with that. And they ask, are you going to call a man a woman if you're forced to do so by law? Phil, these are not like questions you're (laughs) asking. Well, I guess you're not asking them. Um, But, you know, this is interesting because we— I do believe we are going to see this in America. I just did a video on Instagram of a man, a father in Canada who's been put in jail because he refused to call his daughter the pronoun she desired. Mm. This is a little girl that he once held in his arms. He kissed her, kissed her cheeks, had all these dreams for her. And I believe it was at a young age, like 11, she wanted to transition into a boy. Mm. Make a long story short, you can Google the story the government did step in to where she was taking drugs to transition into a boy. This is a father who's stepping in for truth. He wants to stand for truth and fight for his child. And now he's being put in prison because he talked about the case and refused to call her the proper pronoun. This is the slippery slope that the Equality Act, which we were just talking about, which does not mean equality for all, doesn't mean equality for this parent, that I think we could see in America, if we go down this road, our rights as parents taken away. And so this question, are you going to call a man a woman if forced by law? That's not a crazy Mm. concept. This Mm -hmm. could happen. And we as Christians are going to have to be so convicted in our heart if we know who God is, that we can stand strong and be able to take action. Um, You know, when I refer to somebody as their biological sex. Mm-hmm. That's how I answer that. Let's have one more uh, heavy hitting one here. And this person says they're having a hard time talking to their tweens about what's actually going on. So in light of the Equality Act and all of these kinds of things that are happening, um, somebody also also says, how do you teach children that homosexuality is wrong? So um, both of those questions ask, how do I deal with this with my tweens or my kids of any age, really? Well, first off, I don't have tweens. So it's hard for me to kind of step into that role and say what you should do with your tween. I have younger children, and yes, I've actually already had to address some tough topics with my younger children. But with that said, um, I had a mother that always talked to me about even tough subjects, whether that's in the car, on the way to school, or around the kitchen table. Those are some of our greatest mission fields is our with our children. The world is coming after our children with lots of different noises, whether it's through the music, through the TV, and the entertainment, through social media. So it's so important that we as parents have a voice and that connection and that relationship with our children. Um, We are in a world that has been turned upside down. There is no truth. There's no absolute truth in the world. Your truth, my truth, and my truth is gonna trump your truth. Mm -hmm. I think it is always important to take your children back to God's word and open up God's word and start reading it, talking to them about it, um, that God's intricate plan for man and for woman from the beginning and how he's gonna redeem that, that scarlet thread throughout scripture and how much he loves them, that he created them for a purpose. Um, 
because these are very tough subjects and only the Holy Spirit is gonna help you as a parent get through that. But I encourage you to have these tough conversations mm-hmm. with your children and help your children and equip them to have a biblical worldview. That is a perfect setup for the next question, which is lighter. All right. So uh, th- this person asks, what's your favorite Bible study? And a kind of a companion question with that is, what book of the Bible do you suggest diving into first? So my favorite Bible study, to be honest, just currently in my heart for the last year, I haven't wanted to do any Bible studies other than just reading the Bible and studying the Bible itself. Because if anybody's been following along, they know that this kind of quest or my Bible verse for the last year is those who know their God will be able to stand in strength and take action. And I just really want to know God. I want to know what God says about himself. And he reveals that in his word and his holy word. So I want to encourage people right now. I don't really have a favorite Bible study. There have been some I've done in the past that I've really enjoyed. I think Kay Arthur and Precept Ministries have great ones because they take you kind of through an expository Bible study, just verse by verse, actually word by word, because they actually want you to know what you are reading, the the who, the when, the how, and what's going on in each verse before you go to any commentary. And I think sometimes we kind of cut ourselves short. We think we're not smart enough that we have to go directly to the commentary. And I just want to encourage you before you start, ask the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to help you understand and um, read it and understand it. Read it a couple of times over and over. But that's my encouragement. Um, right now, my favorite Bible study is just the Bible itself currently is what I've been doing. And what about the first book you should dive into if you're getting serious about reading the Bible? My grandfather always suggested starting with the book of John mm-hmm. here um, at my grandfather's ministry. Anytime somebody would come to know Christ, we give them the book of John and a study guide to go along with it. He always encouraged there. And then he also always said to start with reading Psalms and Proverbs a day. The Psalms would help you to get along with God and the Proverbs would help you get along with man is what my grandfather would say. I love that. So getting back to reading the Bible itself and not necessarily using a Bible study, a couple questions um, ask about how to do that with your family or with children. So is there a Bible study that maybe is best to use with young children? Or um, what do you as a family do for your devotional practices and trying to make it fun this person who's asking the question is saying they're trying to make it fun for their four and six-year-olds. I do think it's very important to make scripture fun for all children. My dad always did that when he would read scriptures. He made it fun in telling the stories, or he might say something that was totally off to make sure you were paying attention. And he always had questions at the end of it to ask, and he just kept us engaged. And I look back at that with my family and what a special time that was for our family. Growing up, my family always had prayer time together. We had devotions at night as a family, the entire family, no matter what we were doing, we had to come together, have devotions, and we all got on our knees and prayed. And now when you're a little kid, you think that feels like forever. Like, oh my goodness, you got to pray and you're fidgety. So now that I'm a parent and I have two little ones, that is something my husband and I have strived to do, to have prayer time with our children as an entire family. We get on our knees right now, my little ones, Sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss (laughs) because they got other things on their mind. But I think it's creating that consistency. We have a couple books that we like. Some of them is going through the whole book of the Bible, pretty in depth, but from a children's level. Mm -hmm. And it's got a lot of questions at the end of it. When they were really little one, there was a Bible, um, 
I think a Bible in a year for mm-hmm. children where it was just like a scripture a day and just a tiny little nugget, truth of nugget mm-hmm. to go with that. Just something to create that consistency um, because right then they're not gonna comprehend a whole lot, but it's just that consistent prayer time with God to help them create that, that habit right, in their right. own life and to set that example before them. This next person, um, they say, you know, as, as busy as you are, how do you juggle parenting, public ministry, and seeking that one-on-one time with the Lord? You know, I, I, I'm very thankful that this person thinks I'm doing a good job juggling, that they think <laughs> they can ask me my opinion on this. Because if they knew my last night before coming up here, I was about to fall apart and think, this is so hard. Because I live mm. in Florida, I work in North Carolina, so I have to go back and forth. I got up at 3.30 this morning to hit the 6 a.m. flight to come up here. I can't say I honestly do it well. Mm. I've told my husband, I'm not a very organized person, that I don't juggle things well, and sometimes I don't feel like I'm fit for public ministry. (laughs) However, as a working mom, I will say, I don't feel the need to say yes to everything. Mm. I prioritize. I don't say yes to every speaking engagement that comes my way. I don't, I, you know, I'm prayerful and I'm very careful of what I accept because my family time is very precious to me. We do have a tradition in my household. Fridays are our family night. Those are pretty like sacred to mm-hmm, me mm-hmm. because if it's been a week traveling, Fridays, um, my house is typically very clean on a Friday and we have pizza night. I put out a big picnic blanket. We eat pizza on the floor and watch our movie. That's our time. So it's very important to carve out family time, Um, trying to have very good communication with my spouse because I'm the one traveling all the time and coming back. And as far as one-on-one time with the Lord, boy, I fail at that too. And thankfully God shows us grace. But through COVID and especially this year, I've had a hunger for God's word. So I've made that a priority. And you have to make that a priority of like being very disciplined, getting up in life. And of course, with kids, all things kind of happen, mm-hmm. but showing grace. But I've been attempting in my life to be more disciplined in that area. And it's ongoing, right? I mean, you're always trying. We're always trying to get it right the next day and do do a better job the next day, right? Yep. Yeah. And I there's sometimes like when I travel, I don't bring my whole Bible like kind of in my workbook that I'm working on mm-hmm. and stuff like that or where I like keep notes and do all that. So I have some that I use for when I travel that are like my daily light, mm-hmm. especially that my Aunt Anne's daily light, which is God's scripture kind of all grouped together. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a hard left here with this oh, next question. Oh my goodness. These are... Right? <laughs> They're good questions, aren't they? I know. Yeah. I hope I'm... They're, people have asked a lot of good questions. All right. But now this one. What do you think of Meghan Markle making public accusations against her husband's family? Her husband being Prince Harry. Um, thank you for com- uh, thank you for com- of the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for confirming who uh, <laughs> Prince Harry is. Um, you know, there's a lot. Of, I call it the questions, comments, and concerns when I'm um, talking about a subject. There's lots of questions, comments, and concerns to be had about this. We don't know, need to go in every detail of my opinions on this situation, but there is one thing. I think this whole thing was very sad and very tragic. Um, there was nothing beautiful about that interview to me um, because what I looked at it where it was sad is the attacking family publicly. For a family that has been in the public life for a long time, 
my grandmother always taught us, you don't talk about your family publicly. It, and what this interview showed, it doesn't matter if you're the royal family, it doesn't matter if you're the Grams, it doesn't matter who you mm-hmm. are. Every family has issues. We're to deal with those issues, not to allow Satan to come in and to divide and not to let the whole world mm-hmm. see it because I don't see anything good coming out of that. And some of you are listening might not think you can relate to this because you're not a, a family in the public eye. You're not gonna be talking publicly, but that is not true because we see it on social media all the time. People think they have to put their feelings out there all the time on Facebook. Um, whether you're talking about a friend that hurt your feelings or a family member you're disappointed in, some of that stuff is just meant to be private. Deal with it privately. God gives us instructions to go to our brother and sisters privately. And that's what made me very sad about that. That I think if, you know, he did things he said, Prince Harry, if you remember <laughs> is his name, Phil, Prince Harry. You I know, just stop he, and think about that for a second. <laughs> he talked about, you know, he did this because of his mother and he thought of his mother. I think his mother would be heartbroken. No mother wants to see her two children, not close, not talking, and especially not doing it on the world stage. I thought it was very sad, but nobody really needs my opinion on it. I would just encourage you, don't put your opinions out there for the whole world. You don't have to be in the royal family to understand that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Okay, well, speaking of family, this person says, will you ask your dad to run for president? (laughs) (laughs) They need to ask him that, not me. Too bad we can't FaceTime and and ask him (laughs) this person's question. Um, You know, people ask my grandfather that for years, and we do have a clip of him and his answer to that. But before I say that, is I always want to say, my grandfather never lost focus of what God called him to do. He never lost his focus of the cross. I'm very thankful for my dad and that too. He's never lost focus on what God's called him to do. But here's my grandfather addressing that issue. And the Bible says that when we receive Christ as our savior, we become members of his body. We become a joint heir with Christ. We become a child of God, and we are going to reign with him when he comes into his kingdom. Maybe I'll be mayor of New York at that time. I don't know. (laughs) Now, I think you took that wrong, too. (laughs) I'm not running for any office. Now or never. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to promote one man for everybody to vote for, and that's Jesus. Well, speaking of politics, we've got kind of three questions here that all go together. Um, let me just read them off to you here. They're real short. How can I be more involved in political conversation safely? Uh, where and how to start learning about politics? And how to get Christians to realize the importance of being active in politics? Okay, that's a lot of politics questions. So let me start with how do you get Christians to realize the importance of being active in politics? Politics is an ugly word. I'm one of the people that, you know, they say not to talk about politics or religion in mixed company. I like to talk about both of them. (laughs) And I encourage people, nobody likes the word politics. It's ugly, especially after you look at the political climate in this country and what we have faced, nobody has enjoyed this in the last couple of years. But I encourage people, don't think about it as politics, but think of it as governance and who is governing over you. Mm-hmm. And what does that exactly mean? Well, those are the people who are gonna make decisions of how we live our life. You know, you can look at this year of COVID, where we're allowed to go, how and when are we allowed to worship, what side of the street we can walk on, 
uh, how we raise our children. We're starting to see this, as I mentioned in the Equality Act, and you look at what's happening in Canada and the slippery slope that we are on as parents. So all of that is governance and deciding what we can do with our lives um, daily. So that is so important. I think a lot of people think as, well, I don't love any candidate and I don't love politics. But what's love got to do with it? You know, when you look at Eisenhower, one of his slogans was, I like Ike, because that's the best you could hope for is that you liked a candidate. But this is, you know, the issues that we're talking about so much, they're not always political issues. These are biblical issues that we're facing. And it is so important of who's governing over us, who's making those decisions over you and me, over our children, how we're going to raise our children. I think one of the greatest things in this country and the greatest gifts that makes this country special is that we can raise our children the best way that we see fit as an individual family. And that is currently under threat with a slippery slope of the Equality Act. That's how dangerous it is. So that's why it's so um, important talk about and to care about politics, that we cannot turn a blind eye. Because so many people have turned a blind eye over the years, this is the spot that we are in now. And it is dangerous of the threats that we are facing that we never thought we would see here on American soil. So let's say I'm a a follower of Christ who realizes, hey, it really is important that I get involved, but I really, I'm kind of in the dark and I don't know how to start learning about all of these things. What would you recommend? There are some great resources out there. Um, I truly am a huge advocate of Decision Magazine, which was the magazine my grandfather um, started here at the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. It is so good. I use it as one of my top resources for topics that are going on in our culture and in our world. It is up to date. It's relevant. It is. It's so simple. Sometimes you read news articles, and they are so confusing. Just like right now, as we're sitting in this room, a colleague of ours read us this article and. I was so confused with every sentence Mm -hmm. he read. But Decision Magazine, I'm going to encourage, is a great place to start of what's going on in our culture, uh, politically and socially. Another another place to turn is Fearless. Because seriously, every episode, you really help encourage, you really help people understand what's going on in a very easy to understand way. So listening to this podcast is also a really good resource too. Well, thank you. That's what, it is very confusing, even for me out there. So we got to make it simple for people. Okay, turn the corner here again, a different subject. Oh, oh, hold on. By the yes. way, because they wanted to how to get involved in a conversation safely. Um, I don't think, I'm not sure about that because safely, I mean, I don't want you to be in danger, but you can't be afraid to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. You do it um, seasoned with grace and salt. Do it with love and kindness, but don't back down from that truth of what God has called us to do the truth and the wonderful foundation, what this country is founded on and the principles and how we've been a light in this world. Um, Don't, I know it's easy to be fearful because you're going to be called every name in the book when you don't stand for their truth of what a world that has no moral authority calling us any kind of names and no truth because their truth changes daily. So don't um, let that mob cancel you out. Yeah, that's a good point to add. Okay, as I said, we're going to turn the corner with this with this question here. How do you approach technology with your kids? Do you have any biblical uh, guidance for that? Um, I don't know if I have biblical guidance, maybe more just common sense mm-hmm. um, from a parental standpoint. 
I mean, my kids do play with my iPhone and my iPad because it is 2021. I don't keep that away from them from all. Very careful what games they play with, um, what they are watching. I do have a balance of what it of the rules that come with mm-hmm. that and the time. It is very limited. Sometimes my kids and my personal level have to find themselves in very um, big situations that you don't find little kids in a lot, um, sitting at the grown-ups table quite a bit. So they do get that. But I'm very careful when you come to the table and a waitress comes, they have to put the phone down. Mm-hmm. They have to look at the waitress in the eyes, tell them exactly what they want. There comes like specific rules. I cannot stand when I see a teenager at the table with headphones on. My kids do not have headphones on, that's for sure when we're out in public. Um, as far as technology inside the house, my kids don't really do that because they're at a young age and they don't have like technology in their rooms. So right. I'm not there yet. I, my brother has a great rule. When his um, daughter became a teenager and she got her iPad or her phone, I can't remember, they had a like a contract that came with mm-hmm. the iPad. It had all the rules set out for her that she couldn't have it in her room at night. It had to charge on the kitchen table. You know, it just had it listed in yeah. all these bullet points, and she had to sign it. If she breaks that contract, she loses her iPad. That's a good idea. Hey, Sissy, you get a lot of questions that pertain to school in one way or another. Questions like, you know, should we keep our kids in public school, or how do we manage to send to private school, or how do we how do we confront issues within the public school system, or how about homeschooling? So, how about if we just take kind of a general view uh, approach to those questions that have to do with educating our children. Yeah, and I'm looking, somebody asked the question, am I crazy to consider homeschooling my <laughs> yeah, ninth right. grader? Well, <laughs> maybe. I don't want to homeschool a teenager, but I um, actually think uh, I'm proud of that parent for even considering it because mm-hmm. I know that's a huge task to even consider. But I do get asked a lot of questions like this. Um, I think we look at scripture, we know our children's spiritual formation is our primary responsibility. And that has a generational impact. You get a few short years with them. Scripture says our children are olive shoots around our table. I hear Fearless talk about our our mission table or our table is our greatest mission field. That's because our children are around it and we get our children for a short time, maybe 18 years or less, right? And we send them off to school to 30 to 40 hours a week. So they're gonna, um, of course, have that's gonna be a huge influence in their lives. But let me be clear, I grew up in public school my entire life. And I always wanted my children to be in public school. I had a wide range of teachers. I had wonderful Christian teachers. I had some transcendentalists. I had some hippie teachers, atheists. It was just a broad range. But my mother always used those as teaching moments with me. She never hid me from the world. And that's what I wanted for my children. I wanted them to be a light in the darkness and like little Daniels going off into to right. school and that be their mission field. But however, it is rapidly changing. And I want to be clear, not every school system is, is there yet. But like I said, we're seeing rapid changes. There's some wonderful school teachers, Christian teachers out there that this is a hard place for them to be in because some of them are being told they have to teach things that they don't believe in. You know, we look where sexual ideology has become the forefront of education endeavors. And now we have critical race theory that is joining in and that's being adopted by many school boards across the nation. And that that's dangerous. There, I read some curriculum that has just passed um, in a county here in North Carolina that is talking about the whiteness and how 
the racism that comes with your whiteness. That's my son. That's my little boy. And to be fair, people are not even aware it's going on. Mm. A colleague of mine was just talking to a woman who has children in that school district. She had no idea. So we have to encourage people and have these conversations. But getting back to the school, um, like I said, I grew up in public school my whole life. But now, as I'm a mom with two little ones and where we live, my husband and I decided to put our kids in private school. That is a financial sacrifice. I know that is tough. And many parents and families might not think that that's possible. So what do you do? I would encourage you, you know, many, especially as millennials, we are used to dual income families. It might mean you have to sacrifice an income um, if you need to homeschool your children, if that becomes the option because you can't afford private school. Um, or maybe you have to kind of reevaluate your family and what you're spending and make it a priority to put your children in a private Christian school. Because I think the enemy is fighting after our children really hard. And we as parents get such a little time with them. I don't want somebody else spending that time 30 to 40 hours. They're not even teaching um, you know, history anymore. Our school systems are slowly becoming anti-American, anti-history, uh, anti-science, now even anti-math we've seen in some places. So, and there, I feel sorry for the teachers. These teachers don't even have time to teach math, English, and science, especially to those kids who are falling behind. But now teachers are teaching kids how to transition. Like that is scary stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would tell people to really evaluate your family situation and look at each child. Some children are prepared to go in. Uh, you know your child best. Are they prepared to go into a public high school and um, kind of not being eaten up by the world? Can they stand strong? And you know that. And you might have to take it year by year, child by child. There's no correct uh, answer and no right formula for each family. Every family's different. But I just encourage you to, to really think hard because public schools are rapidly changing and we can't keep up. And be willing to go to the school board and confront some of these um, problematic curriculum, right? Yeah, you're going to have to be aware. My mom was very on top of what we were studying, especially back then, you know, sex education and sex ed. She wanted to know what that curriculum was. Right now, they are pushing through curriculum that you're not even aware of. I myself, I, I've shared the story here in Fearless. I had to go to our school board in Lee County where I live. And my kids aren't even in that school. So some people are like, well, why are you there? Because those are my dollars right. going there. And... I might not be able to always afford for my children to go to a private mm -hmm. education. So yes, I care what's happening to the other children in my county and I'm fighting for them. This next question is from the perspective of a student and they ask, they say, how can I do better at high school performance in terms of faith? Oh, that is, oh, I love that. I love that there's young people that just have a desire to know God. First off, I want to encourage you to start um, studying <laughs> studying a biblical worldview. There's some great resources out there, especially with the things that they're facing. I encourage you, you know, I had um, Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison from the Just Thinking podcast. I would encourage them, um, people like John Cooper, once again, we've had mm -hmm. here on Fearless, really educating themselves to know what they believe and why they believe it and have a biblical worldview on these issues. Also, that critical time with just you and God um, creating that a habit in your life, whether it's in the morning, whether it's the evening, what, however you spend that time with the Lord, because 
It's God's word that will revive us. It's God's word that will strengthen you. It's God's word that will prepare you mm-hmm. for battle uh, is the sword. And when you are in high school, you are in battle. But I encourage you, love those around you, but never to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Okay, here are two questions that might go hand in hand to see. Um, the first one, this person says, our church has softly become woke. And they are they say they're raising children in the faith. And so they don't know whether to stay or go or what to watch for. So they're asking you about that. But kind of hand in hand with that, somebody else says, how do we correctly respond to Christians that embrace liberal politics or liberal worldview? I think for the second question, how do we embrace people with a uh, a liberal worldview is that we have to have a really strong biblical worldview and we have to know what God's word has to say. We've become a society that's really biblically illiterate. So how can we have a biblical worldview? There's some great resources that we could study on that because you can't have those conversations with people without that foundation first. And how do you address that is, you know, our society says we can't, we want, we're gonna be canceled if we kind of go against their truth or their opinions. Therefore, we don't wanna say anything because we don't want to be labeled any kind of terrible name, like a racist, a bigot, you know, hateful, whatever the name they want, the world wants to label you. However, we're just in difficult times right now. And we can't afford to sit silent anymore because we see what has happened in our society when the church has sat silent. And the church is like, let them kind of do their thing. So I just encourage you um, with Christians who you believe might have a liberal worldview. And I don't know what they mean by a liberal worldview, technically what they're disclaiming, but you know, this isn't about Republicans and it's not really about Democrats. At the end of the day, Republicans and Democrats, the world's gonna hate the name of Jesus and hate the truth he stands for. And we've read scripture where the whole world will turn against, Mm -hmm. you know, Israel and his chosen people. So just remind yourself that we're fighting for truth here. And um, with that is we we just have to have a biblical worldview to be able to stand strong. So anyways, let's get back to the woke church. Mm -hmm. Um, So the question was, our church has softly become woke, raising children in faith, do we stay or go and what to watch for? So there's a lot of questions in there. So first off, let's define the word woke right. because I've seen people misusing it. Um, I was just talking to a colleague whose father's a pastor and he said woke, kind of not knowing what it went. And woo, I think he got lots of emails the following day. So let's uh, really quick woke to clarify what it means. It's really like you've been awakened to truth. It's kind of a modern term that we've seen recently, but you've been awakened to like the truth of injustice in our society, especially when it comes to like social injustice and racial issues. Um, That would be my definition of probably what woke is. But let's take the bigger picture of how we got to, I think it's important that we recognize how we got to a woke Mm -hmm. culture and a woke church. As I've mentioned before, we live in a society where there's no truth. Truth has been turned upside down. You have your truth. I have my truth. Your truth trumps mine. And when we look at uh, the world, the truth changes daily. And I can't actually keep up with what their truth is because their science is changing daily. Truth is changing daily. Therefore, because there is no truth, but most people think their truth trumps it, we've entered into a cancel culture. And if you say something that disagrees with what they believe is truth, that have no moral foundation, by the way, um, they'll cancel you out. And because of that fear, they, they've had a mob mentality to attack anybody that's come against them and their truth. So they'll cancel you. Well, people are fearful of that. They don't want to be canceled. They don't want to be called a, a nasty name or anything like that. So when we're dealing with issues in the world like injustice and racism, 
the world has kind of made the platform of how we're going to talk about it and the terms, and they've defined the terms. And here, the church wants to be kind of woke. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure the world knows. They want to signal to the world, hey, we're with you. We're standing with you. We're addressing these issues. Um, but they've been scrambling. And I want to be clear. I think a lot of pastors have good hearts. I think they are have good intentions to be there for their congregation. But what's happened is because they're scrambling and maybe these are issues we didn't deal with correctly before, like racism, now they're dealing with it on the world's terms, like with critical race theory. Well, that's how the world defines it. So now we are seeing the church play by the world's terms. And we're allowing the world with no moral authority to define terms like truth, justice, and righteousness. And then we're playing by their standards. And I think that's very, we have to be very careful. Like when I look in Jeremiah chapter four, and it says, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then the nations will bless themselves in him and God. Mm -hmm. And for in him, they will glory. Well, we know the world hates him. And we know, according to Psalm 89, that justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. These are things very important for him. His word lays it out for us, a biblical justice, not by the world's definitions of it. So this is a very long answer, um, but the church should not be playing, you know, by their rules. And I think going back to their question, what are some things that they should watch for? You know, we do see pastors saying things like, all white people are born racist. Well, hold on, what? No, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. doesn't matter what my skin color is. Um, we're all in the same playing field as that. That is one thing, we're all in the same playing field. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. It's not because I was born white or my son was born white. And so those are things actually we are seeing in the church, in evangelical churches. So those are things to watch for. If um, think if your pastor encourages things like Black Lives Matter, that phrase uh, that transcended from the original organization, but that original organization, Black Lives Matters, is so anti-God. They're against everything we as Christians and what a pastor should be standing for. They are against fathers in the home. They're against, they call it the Western prescribed nuclear family. And no, I'm here to tell you, it's God prescribed a family. God designed how the family should be. And that's under attack. So BLM is against everything a a pastor should be standing for. So once again, you would be dealing with justice and social injustice from the world's terms when you promote things like that. So those are things. There are also a lot of books that they recommend. I think some churches are recommending reading. I recommend reading God's word first, pointing people to that on justice. But what happens when your pastor talks about these things? I want to encourage you, don't gossip. Don't be angered. Go straight to them. Uh, Talk to them. I never encourage people to leave a church right away. Um, You need to go in private and talk to them, address your concerns, get some clarification. Maybe they misspoke. Also give them some great resources for recommending to your pastor, recommending for those who are listening. Um, one is the Just Thinking podcast. We had those guys here on Fearless, uh, Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker. That is a wonderful uh, resource to have. Another one is a book by Thaddeus Williams called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. That would be a good book to give a pastor. But I do believe um, with all that said, I don't recommend leaving a church very quickly. You got to um, make sure you pray about it first and talk to your pastor. But these are critical times we're in. 
And we can't afford to have churches that have become progressive and teaching what justice and righteousness and what truth is from the world's terms. We got to know what God's word says. So that's a long answer. Good answer. Okay, this next question gets back to raising children again. And they ask, what's the best resource to discipline a toddler with Christian values, such as don't bite? (laughs) It's an important lesson to (laughs) learn. Do you know what? I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and I never really went through a biting phase. When I read this question, it's funny because just last week— my four-year-old decides to bite my daughter. <laughs> they were preparing you for this. And I'm like, we're a little this. late to this game. Like, normally that's something you deal with toddlers, like this says. To be honest, I never read a resource. I, I never read a book about raising toddlers. Um, toddler age was, I feel like, pretty easy. I wasn't very overwhelmed in that area. I feel like the later years that I'm getting ready to enter might be the difficult ones where you're really dealing with the tough topics that we've been talking about today. But to be honest, my mother was my best resource. My mom was a great example. It was hilarious because growing up, no joke, people would send their children to our house for the weekend so my mom could discipline (laughs) them and get them in shape. I kind of called her the mean mom. I mean, she was a stern lady. But I'm so thankful for that. So she was a great resource to me. I understand not everybody has that as an example to look up to. If I could give one advice to young parents with their children, like biting, if I was to be honest, um, I've, I put hot sauce in their mouth. Anything that has to do with like bad, you know, say something sassy or talk bad or you're biting, anything with the mouth, I've given hot sauce to. Um, I've also bit them back. I'm just going to be honest. And that did work. <laughs> Now that my four-year-old is just entering this, um, he doesn't remember me biting him when he was two, and he said, I won't do it. I said, test me, I will. (laughs) However, my one bit of advice is let your yes be yes, as Jesus said, your nay be nay and your yay be yay. It's that simple. Your yes means yes. Your no means no. You're not going to argue with a child. You're not going to argue with a three-year-old. You're not going to count to three and give them a warning. Because let's, for an example, if your child was running out in front of a car and you tell them to stop, but they're used to you counting to three, well, guess what's going to happen? You know, this could, Mm -hmm. you know, it just could come down to saving their life one Mm -hmm. day, your word. And it also sets the example of how we're to be obedient to God when he tells us to do something, we Mm -hmm. should do it immediately. We can't wait around and wait till our own terms works out when God tells us to do something. So I just think that is very, very important, but also kind of... um, you know, when you're instructing your kids, keep it simple. Um, you know, my grandmother used to say, "We I don't even know if we have an audio clip of it, but she used to say, it's like you were training a dog, you keep your commands very short and simple when it comes to disciplining your dog. But that would be my number one advice. Your yes is your yes, your no is your no with your children. All right, so we're to the last one, okay? These were so tough. Well, this last one isn't really a question. Uh, This person says, thank you for every truth that you speak out. God bless. But um, that's just what they say is there is really important. It's important to speak truth and to be having these conversations centered around truth, right? Um, First off, thank you for the encouragement to whoever said that. And that is my heart. This episode is probably more of my opinions than I would like to give. And that's what I want to encourage people. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. I always want to encourage people to know God's word. And if I said something you don't agree with, um, I encourage you to to go to God's mm-hmm. word, see what God's mm-hmm. word has to say. I looked um, 
in scripture, there was a verse that somebody was talking to me. It says, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. And I think that is one of the biggest things is we don't have a knowledge of God and his word. Mm. That we even see Christians in the church today rejecting uh, God's word because they don't know it. So they can't see the counterfeit when mm. that it's right in front of them. And I want, that's my heart. Today was tough subjects. And that's just a reflection of the world that we are in. Right, right. That's a reflection of what we're dealing with in our church. It's the reflection of what we're dealing with politically. It's the reflection of what we're dealing with uh, culturally and in our education system. People are carrying heavy things right now. And it won't be the words of Sissy Graham that are gonna get you through it or through Billy Graham or whatever. It's gonna be God's word. It's our sword. It's how we will stand. It'll be the rock we stand on and it'll be what we can fight the enemy with. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Fearless. So thankful I could have my colleague Phil join me and help me through some of those tough subjects. I encourage you to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Once again, thank you for joining us on another episode of Fearless. Fearless.